super exciting. I love being in this building because for a lot of us, this is where it all began. I mean, this is where we first kind of started gathering as a community before we moved up the street. And so there's a lot of history here. For a lot of us, this is a place that the Lord kind of used to, to mess up our life and our understanding of church and those kind of things. So it's, it's kind of fun to be back in this building uh, for the time period. So we're glad that you're here. We, we hope that you'll venture with us up the street a little bit. We're in the middle of a, a really interesting time in the life of our church. We're trying to figure out how we move and grow and, and where we're moving to next. And so there's a lot of stuff going on and we think it's a really exciting time to be part in the life of this church. And so we're a young commu- community with a lot of issues and growing edges and we want you to be a part of all of those. So we'd love to have you do that. So this morning we're gathered here to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. We're gathered here to celebrate Easter. And that's a super exciting part of the Christian kind of life. It's sort of why we're here and why we get dressed up and why we do all those things. Because this day, really in history, changes everything. It, it absolutely alters everything that we believe. And we've kind of been leading up to this day, if you've been with us in these past five weeks, by exploring a teaching series that I've called Five Truths About the Death of Jesus. And we kind of looked at very kind of real theological truths about what the cross meant. And we kind of led ourselves to this point, and we talked about how the death of Jesus was for his enemies and was on our behalf and to find love. And we talked about these things to kind of set us up for what took place on Friday night. But really the culmination of all of that teaching and all the things that we've done ends, us, or ends up right here on this day. Because as Paul himself said, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ didn't happen, every single thing that we believe is in absolute vain. It is worthless. So all those weeks and all that teaching and all that stuff that we kind of unpacked for five weeks, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then all of it is just worthless. It's just meaningless words. So the resurrection is that crowning point, that culmination of, of all that God did and all that we've looked at. So this is really sort of the end piece of that. Now, I had a pastor I worked with one time uh, years ago that told me, he was kind of an, an older guy, and he was kind of investing in me a little bit, and he kind of said, now listen, when you preach on Easter, all right, when you preach Easter, there's going to be a ton of people that don't ever really come to church, and there's going to be a bunch of people that you don't see but once a year, and they're all going to show up, and, and so you're going to have a bunch of new faces, and you're not going to recognize anybody, and so, so when you preach on Easter, here's what you want to do. You want to make sure that you don't rock the boat either way, right? You don't want to go kind of crazy, but you also don't want to be like over here, and, and you don't want to make anybody feel uncomfortable because your goal should be to just put one down the middle of the fairway and make everybody want to come back. And I thought, I think I'm going to vomit. Like, I really was thinking, happy Easter, by the way. I was thinking, <laughs> yeah, you can put that? No, never mind. Okay, so I was thinking, what a terrible thought. Like, if, and the more I kind of lived with this thought, the more I thought, like, If that is my goal, if standing up here today is to get you to come back to church, right, and to entertain you for 30 minutes so that you feel good about whatever's getting ready to transpire after this, I'm an abject failure. Like, if really, as your pastor's preacher, that's my goal. My goal really has zero to do with you coming back. Like, I honestly, it's not going to bother us at all if you never come back, right? We hope you go somewhere. But my goal is to present the gospel in a way, present the the biblical truth in a way that it kind of messes up your life and changes the way that you think and really live. So with that in mind, right, with that kind of thought in mind and the fact that we're not really a kind of put one down the middle of fairway group of people, right, there's not a lot of frills, right, right, there's no free coffee mugs if you're here for the first time and, and bald eagles aren't going to be released when I preach and I don't have a t-shirt cannon or like things that sort of shoot out, you know, and all that kind of stuff and we're not have a thousand piece orchestra and flying in some soloist from Brazil so you can hear Jesus loves you in Portuguese or whatever, like none of that couple of reasons. One, we're just really not that cool. Like Don and I, this is it. Like this is all you got here. I got a couple of lilies, so they're a little droopy, right? Because when you get them at Homeland on sale the night before Easter, this is what you get. 
So that's about as cool as this defines us as a church anyway. So that's the first reason. The second reason is if you're here for the first time and you do come back and you get to church next Sunday with us and you look up there and you're like, really? Two guys and a guitar, no eagles or fire cannons, and the guy has on the same shirt he wore last Sunday? This is lame, man. So we've lowered the expectations, right? We just sort of put them right down here, and we're just going to focus on the sort of life-altering movement of Christ, this resurrection. So that's what we're lifting up. So no super fancy, crazy things like that. So we're just going to put that out there. But this morning, I do want to challenge your thought process a little bit, because most of us seem to think that the resurrection, or really identify with the resurrection as an event, and we talk about it. The resurrection is the single greatest event in all of human history, and it is certainly that, absolutely. But really the way that scripture sort of plays out, the resurrection is also a person. And so I want to push your definitions and understanding of, re- of the resurrection this morning as we and kind of take a different look at this morning and explore Jesus himself as the embodiment of the resurrection. So if you've got a Bible, we're going to be in, in uh, John chapter 11. If you don't, I will be reading so you can follow along with me. And we're going to kind of explore the picture of the resurrection through the person of Jesus Christ as opposed to the empty tomb um, that was kind of seen that morning that we're all familiar with because I want to push your boundaries a little bit. So let's take a moment and let's pray and then we'll dive into God's word together. Lord, I thank you that um, not only are we gathered here from all kinds of walks of life, but we are gathered here from all places. Lord, some of us are here from out of town visiting family. Some of us are here for the first time because we just needed some place to go on Easter. And yet, Lord, you unite us all, that you bring us in this same place. And Lord, we recognize, too, that we're united with believers all over the world, both here in our city, uh, Father, and our friends that are in China, and our friends that are in Guatemala, and Bosnia, and India, Russia. Father, the people that we love and support, missionaries that are celebrating with communities all over the world. And we recognize what unites us as a body of Christ is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, as a, as a culture, we're so often set on what divides us. This church does this, this church doesn't do this, they believe this, they don't believe that, they can dance, they can't dance, whatever. Like, God, we're so focused on what divides us that we very seldom stop and think that we are gathered with millions upon millions of believers all over the world today celebrating the same exact truth. Not all the peripherals around it, but the same truth. Jesus Christ, death and resurrection. And we are the body of Christ. So, Father, take a moment and, and, and push our understanding of the resurrection to be less event-driven, God, which it certainly was, and more driven by the person who calls himself the resurrection. Take a moment and just ask God for the next few minutes just to teach your heart. Just kind of whisper that to the Lord. Take a moment and pray for someone beside you. We do this every week. We just ask you to be in the habit of praying for other people. Pray for someone um, around you. Maybe you know their name, maybe it's your husband or your wife or your kids, or maybe it's just someone you've never seen. Just pray that God would move in their heart. Be in the habit of praying for other people. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to gather here. Lord, we know that when we open your word, we have an encounter with you. Your word is living and active. God, it is sharper than any double-edged sword, as you tell us. Lord, it is It is your truth, and we take it that way. And so, God, we pray that you would teach us this morning through your word. We know that only you can reveal truth. And so, God, we pray that you would move in us. We turn our morning over to you and everything that would happen hereafter, Father, all of our our time with family and places we go from here and lunches and things. Lord, it's just all for you and for your glory. So we ask this in the risen name of Jesus, our Savior, the resurrection. Amen. 
So a little bit different uh, kind of approach today, right? So I'm not going to go through the classic Easter story and talk about Mary and, and, and Peter as they ran to the tomb and explore the, the empty tomb and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that is implied, right? Something got you out of bed this morning, right? And kind of, kind of got you out of bed and dressed and, and here in this place. And so we're going to assume for just a few moments that that's why we're gathered here. We're gathered here because of the empty tomb. That three days ago, Jesus was crucified at the hands of those that he loved, the creation that he made. And then God has raised him from the dead, thus conquering sin. And we're staring at an empty tomb. And, and so instead of exploring that this morning, I want to explore the resurrection from a different angle. Now, Jesus had a lot of people that followed him around. Everywhere he went, people would gather in these huge crowds. But he had a couple of very special relationships, right? Deep, close, personal friendships. A couple of them with a few of his disciples. But there's another group of people, Mary and Martha and their brother named Lazarus, who Jesus had this really kind of intense friendship with and loved them. And scripture sort of points to this friendship that they had. And we're going to be looking at an encounter this morning that Jesus has with this family in the middle of the book of John. And it's really interesting because Jesus at the time is at the height of his ministry and he's preaching and he's teaching and he's casting out demons and he's feeding 5,000. He's doing all these miracles and, and things are going all on about who is this Jesus and all these things that he's doing. And, and he's becoming close friends with this family and he gets word, right, that his friend Lazarus is incredibly ill. And he's outside Jerusalem, and Lazarus is in a town called Bethany. It's only a few miles away. And he gets word that Lazarus, his good friend, is very ill. And Lazarus is the brother of Mary and Martha. And we know Mary and Martha from the very famous story where Jesus was sitting at their house. Remember that? And, and, and Martha was all mad because she was cooking dinner and doing all this stuff. And Mary wasn't helping. She was just sitting at the feet of Jesus. Remember them from that story? And, and so they get word. They get word to Jesus that Lazarus is incredibly ill and that he's very close to death. And Jesus is just a couple of miles away, and he just hangs around for two more days. He's with the disciples, and he says, hey, we're going to go down there. Um, and, the, and the disciples say, well, shouldn't we go now because Lazarus is really sick? And Jesus says, he's not going to die, so we're just going to wait for a little bit. They wait for two days, and they decide they're going to get up and go. And they get up and go, and right as they're on their way, they receive word that Lazarus has died. And that's what we're going to pick up this morning in John chapter 11, verse 17. So on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had been already in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in their loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection to the last day. And then Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into this world. So Jesus and the disciples, they get together and they decide they're going to make the trip to Bethany to go check on Lazarus. And when they get into town, they get word that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days, meaning he is extremely dead. Now, the four days is really important because Eastern religion and even rabbinical teaching taught that when someone died, the soul hovered around their body for three days, okay? But on the fourth day, on the fourth day, the body was beginning to so decompose that the soul wouldn't enter it again, so that person was really dead. So up until three days, someone could possibly be revived, but on the fourth day, the soul departed forever, and that person was really, truly dead. So the four-day idea is important because 
Lazarus is really dead, right? There's no, he was sort of sleeping or he was just in a deep trance. Like, Lazarus is dead. And the disciples are walking back with Jesus, and they get word that Lazarus had died. And when, when Martha hears that, that Jesus was coming, she gets up, leaves the house, and races out to Jesus. Now, they were close enough to Jerusalem where there were a bunch of mourners. Now, in that culture, mourning was like an Olympic sport. I mean, it was a big deal. And you would have 30 days of people that just wailed and beat their chest. They may not even know the person, but they may be close to the family or knew someone in the family. And they would gather and they would beat their chest and they would scream and they would wail. And oftentimes they would hire flute players to lead processions down the street. And they dressed in, in like sackcloth and clothes that were covered their whole bodies in black and they would just sort of process around in mourning, kind of as this sort of expression of deep sadness. So you have this mourning movement, this movement of people that are wailing and screaming, and they're close to Jerusalem, which means a bunch of people came, right? And it says that when Martha realized that Jesus was coming, and all these mourners were here and all this stuff, she raced out to him, ran out to him and found him. And she basically grabs him and says, Jesus, If you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. A lot wrapped up in that that statement, which is interestingly enough, the same exact statement we're going to hear Martha make in just a moment. But she says, or Mary make, she says, Jesus, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus looks at her and he says, Martha, this is not going to end in death. Your brother's not going to die. He's going to rise again. And and Martha says, I know he's going to rise again at the resurrection. Like at the day when you raise people, I know he's going to be raised from the dead. I know that. She was like, I believe that. And I believe that even now God will give you what you want. And Jesus says, Martha, listen to me. I am the resurrection and the life, right? Even if you die, you live. And those that live or those that die will live even though they die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? And she says, yes, I believe that you are the son of God, that you are the Christ. She goes back to her house. Jesus continues on. Mary then gets up and races out to the street where Jesus was, and she throws herself at his feet. If we continue to read in John, we see, throws herself at his feet, and she clasps his ankles. And she says, if you would have been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. And Jesus has a similar interaction, and then they get up, and he asks her to take him to the tomb, and they go to the tomb, and all these professional mourners are there, and all these people are there, right? And he says, roll away the stone from this cave. And Martha says, wait. Jesus, just for one second, let me tell you this. I I realize you kind of know a lot of things here, but he's been dead for four days. He's going to stink. And she says that. She says there's going to be an odor. And Jesus basically says, move the stone. She does, and he calls Lazarus out, and he comes out. He tells him to remove the grave clothes, and then he goes on. And Lazarus, in this sort of movement, is resurrected from the dead. Now, the story isn't necessarily an Easter story, perhaps, right? It doesn't have the same understanding that we may have of that morning, that sunrise kind of thing. But, but this is probably more of an Easter story than anything I've ever seen. And here's why. See, most of us are really okay with the ideas and the things that Jesus did. So we're okay with the fact that, you know, Jesus did miracles, that maybe he fed 5,000. We don't really understand that happened, but I am. It's, it is what it is, and that's part of the story. And I'm kind of okay with that, and I can, can reside and understand that maybe Jesus knew things that people didn't know, and he did miraculous things, and we're kind of okay with that. In fact, we're here this morning, right? We got out of bed for something. Most of us are at least okay with this idea of the crucifixion and resurrection because, I mean, it, we gathered here. Maybe it's somewhat culturally, but nonetheless, we're here enough to be okay to listen to this person stand up and tell me about the story. So we're okay with the things that Jesus did. But most of us, what really matters for most of us is really who Jesus says he was. 
And this is what's really important to me, because this is, I think, what Jesus is getting at in the heart of Martha. He doesn't stop Martha and say, Martha, listen, quit, quit freaking out, right? Because listen to what I'm going to do. I am going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Do you believe that? Do you believe that I can do that? And then Martha says, sure, yeah, I believe you can do all kinds of miracles. That's not the interaction that happened. Jesus wasn't interested in making sure that Martha believed in what he could do, right? What he was interested in is knowing that, uh, having Martha know who he was. And so he says, Martha, he's not going to die. And she says, I know, I know there's going to be a resurrection. He says, no, that day is now. I am the resurrection. Do you believe this? She wasn't saying, he wasn't saying, do you believe that I can raise him? She's saying, do you believe that I am the resurrection? Now, John, the book of John is filled with these all kinds of powerful I am statements that Jesus makes. He says things like, I am the door, I am the gate, I am the bread of life. I, he calls himself I am. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. He calls himself I am Jesus. And then here he says, I am the resurrection. Now, all of those things are incredibly radical. Because what Jesus does is he doesn't say, I will show you the way. I will lead you to the door. I will show you the bread of life. Follow me and let me demonstrate this. He says, these things are who I am. See, what matters this morning is not what you think Jesus can do. Not if you sit around here wrestling with whether or not, you know, Jesus could really be raised from the dead. Or if he could really raise this Lazarus or feed 5,000. Or if Jesus could really turn water into wine and i got to see that. Or I'd like that to happen at my house or whatever, right? Like those things... Some of you are going, yeah, that'd be great, actually. No, so a lot of those things don't matter. That's not the point. The point is, what do we believe about Jesus in terms of who he was? Do we believe that Jesus really is the Son of God, really is the resurrection, really is life-altering? He is truth, period. Now, there's a lot of really incredible things that are happening in this story that I want us to pay attention to, but, but a couple in particular. The first is the, some of the truth that's coming out. And there's a lot of emotional truth in this, right? I mean, if you really just capture Martha's heart for a moment, it's really powerful. Because here comes Jesus, who she loved, and they were close friends. And they had sent word to Jesus two days earlier to say, please come, Lazarus is sick. Well, when she finally hears that Jesus is coming, she races out to him. And what does she say? She says, Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Mary says the exact same thing. Jesus, if you'd have been here he wouldn't have died. Now, there is some deep emotional truth wrapped up in that. Now, I don't know if you've ever had that moment with the Lord. I'm sure you have at some point in time where you say, God, where are you? Why is this happening to me? If you would just be present, this would not be going on in my life. Why am I so sad? Why did this person have to go? Why was I betrayed? Why did he leave me? Why, 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 God, why aren't you here? That's exactly what these women felt. They felt like in that moment, that pure, raw emotion Jesus was absent, absent. And they're crying out saying, God, if you would have been here, Jesus, if you would have been here, you could have done something. I've had those moments. Maybe you're having those moments right now. Maybe you're not even sure why you came this morning because you're so frustrated with the idea of God and the way that your life is going that you wonder if any of this is even real or worth it in the first place. We've all had those moments. If you would have been here, God, if you would have just showed up, right, just showed up. There's a lot of emotional truth there. But even Martha in that moment says, if you would have been here, right? But then she says, but I know now, even now, God will give you whatever you ask. So she kind of says, like, even though this raw part of me wants so badly to be angry and say, why? I know that you are Christ. Like, I know that you're God. And I know even now you can do things that I don't understand. And God will give you whatever you ask. So even in the middle of this sort of chaos, there's this movement of trust 
that says, but still I, I believe that you are who you say you are. And then Jesus has this sort of statement with her and she comes back to this, yes, I believe that you are the son of God. I don't know how this is going to go. I don't even know how it ends, but I believe, I trust. You know, I think a, a lot of that is somewhat hopefully echoed at times in my own life, probably a lot less faith than that, but echoed in that sort of, God, where are you? I deeply want to believe and sort of missing some of these moments. There's a lot of raw emotional truth there. But, but Jesus responds with this really powerful spiritual truth. I mean, deeply spiritual truth. And he has this sort of intense moment with Martha where he looks at her and after she's pleading with him and and Jesus had waited for two days to make sure that Lazarus was really dead. Now he didn't wait for Lazarus to die because Jesus had heard two days prior Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days but he shows up and he makes sure that everybody knew that Lazarus was good and dead, right? And he shows up right in Martha's life and she says, if you would have been here and he sort of comforts her by saying, Martha, listen, hear me, okay? I am the resurrection and the life. Those that die, they will truly live. And those that are alive, they won't die. And he says, I want to share a couple of truth, truths with you. One's about Lazarus and the other one's about you. Listen to what he says to her. Right? In verse 25, he says, Martha, I am the resurrection. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. That's for Lazarus. This is for your brother. Look, I want you to understand this truth. I am the resurrection. That day is not far off. It is now. That he who believes in me, and, and, and Lazarus was a lover of Jesus. He who believes in me, right, will live even though he dies. That's for your brother. That's the truth. I'm not going to let him perish. And he wasn't talking about physical life. He was going to demonstrate a miracle in a moment. But that's not really what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about something much more deep spiritually. He says even though he dies, he will live because Jesus is the resurrection of eternal life. And then he looks at her and he says, and this is for you. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. That's for you, Martha. Do you believe this? You see what he's saying? He's saying, Martha, you're looking at the living. You're looking at this understanding of of life as you see it and life as you know it. But I am the resurrection and I am standing in your very presence. And your brother, even though he is dead, believes in me and therefore will never die, meaning he will not escape from my grasp. And you are alive and you believe in me and you will never die. And he wasn't talking about that she was going to live to be a billion years old. He's saying, spiritually, you will never die and that's for you. Do you believe that? See, it wasn't, do you believe what I can do? Do you believe that I'm going to show up and do something miracle? So have faith that I will do what you want me to do, right? Which is how most of us want to treat God. We want to say, God, I'm so sad and I'm so broken and I want this thing to happen and do it my way. And I have to have faith that you will do it that way. And if you don't do it that way, that means I had lack of faith. Jesus isn't talking about that at all. He's saying, do you believe in who I say I am? That if you believe in me, you'll never die. Now, I find this incredibly profound. Here's why. Because I think it's the single most important question you will ever be asked. And that is, who do you say Jesus Christ is? Who do you say the person of Christ is? Is he just a great teacher that walks around the countryside talking about things like don't murder people and make sure, you know, you you do these things right and don't steal. And if you do, pay it back. And he's a good teacher. Is he somebody that sort of does miracles that you grew up with here in the church stories and you show up on Easter and you look at those things and you say, yeah, I can get on board with that. But I don't really want to alter my life to have to really get on board with that. Because I don't want to be seen as that person or whatever, and I'm just not sure I get it. I mean, is that the Jesus that you walked in here this morning kind of thinking about? And that's really the question he's asking Martha. He's saying, do you believe in the things I can do, or do you believe in who I am? Because the things that, that I may do, they seem temporary, but what I'm about and who I am is eternal. 
See, what you do with the person of Jesus Christ is the single most important kind of question you will ever be confronted with. Do I believe this Jesus is just some crazy, wacko teacher guy that did some things? Do I believe that he is the, the God of the Bible and all that kind of stuff? Or do I really deeply, deeply believe that he is the resurrection and the key to life? Both abundant life here on earth and eternal life in heaven. See, we gather here this morning to celebrate an event. It's what gets us out of bed. It's what makes us put on pastels and purples and things, right? It's what drives us to this place. It's what makes, it's what makes us move out of our normal worship space to here and go to Sam's and buy mini muffins, right? This event, because we gather for it, right? But what really matters is not that we're here to celebrate an event, but we're here to celebrate the person of Jesus, Jesus is the resurrection. That day is now, meaning eternal life begins today. It's not some far off point when we die. That the cross leads us to this movement that says that God so loved creation, he so loved you, that he sent his son to give you life, that if we believe in him, trust in him, we have eternal life that begins today. John 10.10 is very clear about that. Abundant eternal life begins now. Jesus says, I have come that you might have life now, abundantly and to the full. Eternal life begins today. And Jesus was looking at Martha and he's saying, I am standing in your presence and I am the resurrection and that begins now. Now. A lot of us think that we've got to deal with some of these things when we get closer to death or when we have children, right? And then we've got to go back to church and that kind of whole deal. But the reality is that this question is incredibly important for right this moment, which is who do you believe and what do you believe about what we're gathered here to do this morning, right? What's, what is that? I deeply believe that we're not gathered here to celebrate in an empty tomb and just a simple event, but we're gathered here to say, God, I can't believe you did that for me, that I'm a broken, sinful, messed up person that deserves absolutely nothing, and you sent your son to give me life, and then to demonstrate how powerful you were, you raised him from the dead, thus giving me victory over my sin if I believe in your son. That is the resurrection, and that's what I come to celebrate. And when, when Paul says that the resurrection didn't happen, Everything we believe is in vain. I think he's implying both things, both the amazing, miraculous event and the person of Jesus Christ. So whatever happens with the rest of your days, wherever you go from here and whatever you do with family or not with family or whatever it is, I want you to think differently about the resurrection. I want you to think differently about Easter as opposed to a once a, week or once a year pageantry that we come and celebrate and do that kind of stuff. Like Easter is every single day. From this moment and every day forward, we are celebrating the resurrection, the person of Jesus Christ. And Easter changes everything, not because it's a day, but because it's a person. And what I want you to understand is that the person of Jesus Christ should mess up your life. So as we close our time in worship this morning, let's make it our, our deep heartbeat to celebrate and proclaim not an event that took place thousands of years ago in history, but the person of Jesus Christ who stands in our presence now and invites us into a relationship with him that would change not only our life right this moment, but every day as we go forward, as we celebrate Jesus, the resurrection. Let's pray.